Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from Metsmerized Online. Uh, with me tonight is Jacob Resnick, also from MMO and Mets Miners. Jacob, how are we doing tonight, pal? Doing well. Uh, glad to have a another weekend of playoff baseball, no matter no matter who's playing, whether it's the Yankees or or the Nationals. Um, but you know, always nice when there's still baseball going on and some some Mets news that we'll get into. But um, Tim, did you have a chance to see the uh, the Tom Seaver documentary that was on TV uh, this afternoon? Uh, I was waiting for it to come on at 4.30, and uh, as it was scheduled, I guess football ran late, and uh, we ran out and grabbed some dinner with the family, and uh, so it's on my DVR. I haven't watched it yet, but I'll be doing that tonight. Yeah, it was, it was a nice uh, nice little little film that uh, definitely everyone should check out if they can. You know, Great to see uh, Tom on camera for probably one of the, the final times, but uh, you know, always, always nice to celebrate Mets history. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. I know Ed, uh, Edward Burns is a big Mets fan. Uh, great filmmaker. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely um, interested to see it. Can't wait. But um, we will get into the playoffs at one point. First, uh, I guess we're recording around 8 o'clock on Sunday night. Uh, news just came out that Carlos Beltran is foregoing interviewing with any other interested clubs. And he's focusing solely on the, uh, the vacancy in Queens. You know, Joe Girardi, um, he's been linked to the Mets. He's been linked to a number of teams. Uh, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic reported on Sunday that Girardi would be meeting with the Phillies. It was reported that Girardi had an eight-hour interview with the Cubs last week. Uh, There's going to be other interested teams out there for someone of Girardi's caliber. The Mets need a backup plan. Um, I know the the whole first time manager thing scares a lot of folks off, and e- even the you know the glowing recommendations that is received from AJ Hinch and from uh, Alex Cora and from you know uh, various people around baseball who who are willing to speak up Beltran's baseball and, and uh, in game knowledge. Um, you know, there's always that. I guess that that cause for concern after what we just went through with Callaway and even the fact that he got a glowing recommendation from, um, from Francona in, uh, in Cleveland, it, you just, you know, you have to take it with a grain of salt. In my opinion, I think if Beltran, you know, if he wants to be here and he proclaimed to Anthony Ryber of Newsday that he's ready. So um, if the Mets are impressed with him and feel like he's a, a capable uh, applicant for the job, you know, this might be our guy. What are your thoughts on it, Jacob? Because I know that you're uh, you're all for Girardi. Um, do you feel that Beltran's becoming a more realistic candidate at this point? I think I always felt that Girardi was probably not the most realistic option, given his you know stature as the best guy out there. Putting Joe Madden aside, because it seems like the Angels and him are the perfect match. Um, I mean, it it never, and I don't think it's ever felt like the Mets pursued the number one option available in any, you know, regard, whether it's manager, general manager, uh, or players on the field. So I I was for Girardi as kind of, or I still am for Girardi as a kind of a uh, no nonsense, you know, that he knows baseball kind of guy. Um, and that, probably suits 
what this team needs, not saying that they lost the clubhouse or anything this year, but just a young team that uh, could theoretically uh, compete in the postseason within the next couple of years. Uh, you need someone experienced to kind of guide you through that. That being said, um, I don't understand why there's any, you know, uh, hesitation on the part of Mets fans when Carlos Beltran's name came up. Uh, I mean, if it has to do with the fact that he took a, a, a curveball with two strikes, uh, you know, in game seven of the NLCS against Adam Wainwright, you know, that makes absolutely no sense to me because he's one of the best uh, outfielders that this franchise has ever seen uh, and, and is likely a major league baseball hall of famer. So, you know, I, I have no reservations with Beltran. I think that, if they go after him, it, it probably makes me more excited uh, that it, if they bring on Beltron uh, as opposed to someone like Girardi or Dusty Baker, uh, you know, those guys are more like, let's get down to business. Beltron, it's like, all right, this is something new we're trying. Um, but, you know, being hesitant on Beltron because of Callaway, I, you know, you have to separate those two things. Um, to the, the interesting thing that I, and it's kind of sad that this is what pops into my head. Um, but it's kind of how we know the Wilpons do business. Um, Aaron Boone, as a uh, first-time manager or coach at any level, worked out for the Yankees. And I don't know if maybe the Wilpons saw that and, and figured, you know what, maybe it'll work for us. You know, it's, it's kind of twisted to think that way. Um, but I, I do think that that um, you know, Beltron as a as a guy who's been devoted to the franchise in the past, um, sm- smart baseball mind. You know, no one has anything bad to say about his his knowledge of of the game, experience in the front office with the Yankees over the last few years. Uh, I don't know if you caught his interview with Andy Martino on the the field in Houston before Game Two Sunday night, um, but talked about how he. Uh, you know, learned about the analytics side of the game and how he learned how important it is to present. He, he calls it information rather than analytics and how to present the information to players is more important than acquiring the information itself. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited if Beltron is the way they is the, the avenue they, they choose to go. And uh, I'm, I would say even more excited that Beltron himself wants to be uh, the next manager of the Mets. Oh, sure. And it's, it's an attractive job. You have a, a, a talented core in place. And as far as, you know, I guess Mets fans, I, at least from my point of view, the, the, what I've been hearing is that folks are really hesitant to, um, to grasp a, a manager with no experience. And I know you brought up Aaron Boone, and I think that's a great example because I don't believe a lot of folks had a, a ton of confidence in Boone. Um, I, you know, at least through my eyes, he wasn't the number one candidate for that job at the time, but uh, he's done extremely well. Uh, he, he not only looks like he belongs, he looks like he's one of the better managers in baseball. And that's, um, it says a lot for a guy who had no real managerial experience. But Rocco Baldelli, Alex Cora, Dave Martinez, Craig Council, Dave Roberts, Kevin Cash. I mean, these guys are all guys with very, very limited coaching experience, and they've come in and and I believe all of those uh, all those managers were in the playoffs this year. So, um, you know, there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said. I did not see Martino's interview with Beltran, but that's exciting that he's, you know, looking at it from an analytical point of view. 
Um, I love the idea of transferring that information from the front office to the players. That is one of the most important parts of this process. Um, that's what I believe makes Luis Rojas such an attractive candidate. And if it's going to be Beltran in the driver's seat, I'd personally love to see Luis Rojas as his, uh, as his bench coach, just to help relay that information uh, even more precisely. And I, yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm very, very excited if Beltran is the guy. I know that, you know, I, I pointed that out for MMO last week that he's uh, a solid pick in my eyes, but you know, it looks like it might actually come to fruition and um, I'm pumped. You know, there's really no more to it. If this is the guy for the job, uh, I'm behind him. I just hope that, um, you know, the fans who aren't as supportive right now um, don't, you know, hold it against him from the get go. And uh, yeah, it's going to happen anyway. But, um, yeah. you know, you have to hope that, that everyone gives him a fair shake. I think he deserves it. You know, and I think what happened with Callaway is that he just wasn't ready to manage in the big leagues. You know, he came with a reputation of working with pitchers really well, and I think he did that fine. I mean, he oversaw, uh, you know, at least one and most likely two Cy Young seasons for from Jacob Degrom. Um, you know, Seth Lugo broke out under Callaway's watch. Um, you know, obviously Zach Wheeler broke out under his watch. So, you know, he, Callaway was a pitcher's guy. And we saw time and again that he, um, you know, wasn't really cut out to be making in-game managerial decisions. Not that he will never be able to do that, but he just wasn't ready. Uh, and and so Mickey Callaway's um, inability to uh, get the job done consistently uh, has absolutely nothing to do with what Carlos Beltran picked up throughout his career, um, you know, over 20 years of playing professional baseball. Um, at a at an extremely high level, uh, so yeah, it, it's it's growing on me much more than it than it was initially, and um, I I have no uh, no no trepidations, no hesitation for uh, uh, you know Carlos Beltran as as the one for for the job. Yeah, I think we're we're both on the same in the same boat there. I guess moving forward now, uh, that's probably most definitely priority number one heading into the offseason. Um, so this is uh, this is my muse that I've been kind of popping through my head all weekend. Pretty much the entire positional roster, because let's let's put to agreement that the starting rotation short of Zach Wheeler's uh, spot being filled, that's pretty much set into stone. These are you know, those are our top guys. And uh They'll figure that out. I'm focusing more on the position side where the Mets have a lot of depth. So pretty much your entire positional roster, uh, they increased their value individually this year. Lots of guys took huge steps in their development. Um, lots of question marks were erased, um, at least to a certain extent in most cases. And now you have layers of depth, layers of uh, <laughs> tongue-tied, layers <laughs> of, de of depth. Uh, at multiple positions. So Brody Van Wagenen, he's got options. That's a great thing. Your lineup outliers, like say your Dom Smiths and your JD Davises and um, so on and so forth, they hold value internally because it gives you viable options off the bench. But externally, they might hold more value. Um, there's a lot to think about there. A week, I, I don't want to say week, but a somewhat week, depending on who opts out of their deals, free agent market this season. You know, that could be negated by a smart trade. How? All right. 
you know that guys like Pete, uh, Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil, and we're not even going to talk about the pitchers, but those guys are off limits. One, how comfortable are you? Are you with Van Wagen and shaking things up as far as maybe dipping into the core? And two, are there any other players that you would, you would consider off limits in offseason trade ideas? Let's not even say proposals, just ideas. You have your Alonzo, you have your McNeil. Anyone else? Would you would you put them on your list? Uh, I don't see any reason to not include Michael Conforto and Brandon Nimmo in that conversation. Um, I think when both of those guys are healthy, they have shown that they are, uh, you know, two of the top players at their position, at least in the National League, if not um, all the majors. I know they're n- neither of them are flashy, so they don't really get that recognition, but Brandon Nimmo, I don't have the numbers in front of me was unbelievably excellent after he came back um, at the start of September this year, after he was hurt with a pretty serious neck injury um, for most of the season. And Michael Conforto is Michael Conforto. I mean, he continually continuously amazed us throughout the season. Um, He's on a, an arbitration salary. He's, he's, he's fine. Keep him please. Um, And I have no, no hesitation to include Conforto uh, along with Alonzo and McNeil in that conversation. Um, the the depth is interesting. Um, just kind of looking at at the depth chart uh, in front of me, uh, you figure. I mean, you, you kind of you have to assume that everyone will be, and if everyone's healthy going into next season, that helps a lot because you know Lowry was supposed to, Jed Lowry was supposed to be part of the depth that was added in the off season. He was hurt. You couldn't have predicted that, um, and you you would you would assume that going into next season he's uh, back at a hundred percent. So he should be able to fill fill the the role of you know Swiss Army knife. Um, I think you know JD Davis and Dom Smith are probably the two that you look at. Um, like you said, do they have more value somewhere else uh, to to another team than than as bench players? Um, with the Mets, I I would hold on to both of them because that makes the bench look a hell of a lot better than it will be because um, you know the options outside of those two are are going to to, to not look great um, because there's nothing coming up through the system. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm interested in in uh, what you think about uh, JD and, and Dom and their future with the Mets. Well, you know, JD I believe belongs here. I believe the JD Davis should be in the lineup on a consistent basis where to be determined, but we'll figure that out. And I'm sure the the powers that be will figure that out. Dom Smith as a fan, love him here. Um, Just looking at the team, trying to analyze how he fits in. Um, If he can improve his outfield play, you know, sure. It gives him a little more versatility off the bench. I love him as a left-handed bat off the bench. And he's taken to pinch hitting and he loves clutch hitting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He showed that he can hit in the clutch and he loves playing in New York. He absolutely adores it here. The fans seem to have a connection with him. He seems to love the fan base. Uh, he, you know, he, he gets things fired up in the clubhouse. He gets things fired up in the dugout. He's all you can ask of, of a, of a non-starter on your team. If somebody comes along and says, Hey, that's a perfect fit for our team as a, whether it be a uh, 
a roaming player with a uh, leaning mostly towards first base or what have you. Sure, if the offer's right, in my mind, nobody's untouchable if the offer's right. But I agree with you. Conforto is a cornerstone of this team. Nimmo, uh, and I do have the numbers in front of me. After his return, he had a 430 on-base percentage and a 995 OPS. That, that doesn't come around very often. Uh, exactly. Just, like, yeah. my, and I like Ahmed Rosario. I love him as a player. I love the steps that he took this year. But there are question marks beyond his power right now. He's got two very talented prospects, not quite nipping at his heels, but they're getting close. Um, I'm curious to see, one, how he responds to the progress he made in 2019 next season, whether they're going to explore him in the outfield anymore and try to give him room to grow as a player here, considering he'll be here for years to come because he's arbitration eligible. And, you know, the MO of this franchise is don't move cheap assets, but um, you have to wonder whether the front office is debating taking away to make additions. And I guess that's where my dilemma lies is that if you're pulling away from the bench, is that going to strengthen the team or weaken the team? If you're pulling away from the bench to weak, to, to strengthen the, the bullpen, or if you're pulling away from the bench to 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 bring a power bat in, sure, it's a cool addition, and it on the surface might look like a good trade off, but it's a long season, and guys go down with injury, and guys guys go down with slumps, and not having a JD Davis or a Dom Smith could really come back to bite this team in the in the in the rear end next season, and you hate to see that, and eh, trading away young assets for proven players that's one thing and Brody definitely made a misstep on his first try doing that but he still has time to I don't want to say make up for it but at least even even it out if Diaz can turn himself around and Cano can have a productive year but let's say someone calls with an offer on Cano and the Mets have to pick up money is that a move that you would possibly make it's a move that I would, you know, I would make would would <laughs> would the would, offer come down the turnpike? That's the question, right? <laughs> would it come down the turnpike, and would would the Wilpons, um, you know, eat money? Who knows? Um, like, well, like look at the San Diego Padres, who could, who one have money to spend, could use a veteran bat in their lineup, um, and you know, if the Mets were to pick up half that money and come away with a couple of decent prospects. You know that's something I'd have to consider, and Ian Kinsler's not cutting the, not cutting the mustard out there, and I don't know if they're completely sold on. Um, oh gosh, I'm a big fan, and his name's escaping me, uh, Arias, uh, Luis Arias, and uh, you know, the possibilities are endless going into this offseason. With a a not strong free agent market, you really have to wonder what they're, you know, how they're going to approach things, and at least in my mind. You have to be open-minded to at least listen to to all those different scenarios, but you have to be strong and holding that core together. That's that's got to be a <laughs> it's got to be a bottom line here. Is you know you got to keep this core together unless it makes total sense for the future of this organization. And just with regards to Cano, real quick, you know, as as an aside, I'm very hopeful that what he showed in the second half um, before his injury and after his injury um, is what they're going to be getting next season. You know, if, if, if the Mets get, uh, you know, an eight fifty OPS from, from Cano next season, instead of a, 
600 OPS, that's that changes the conversation a bit because you're you know you're not searching for someone else to be there just in case if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, definitely. But you have a guy like Lowry here. You have McNeil here. Um, you have other second basemen, and you know, of course, I, I think that what Cano showed in the second half, or after he came back from the miraculous hamstring tear that only took him three and a half weeks to heal from, but <laughs> that's another story for another day. Um, of course, I mean, if he's back at that capacity, that's a huge, huge win for the Mets. You have to wonder if um, that's kind of what I was getting at before, where you know, I value um, increased towards the end of the season, whether it was the hot stretch the team went on, whether it was the um, above average offense down the stretch. I know the Mets finished with a 104 weighted runs created. That was their highest in a few years, I, I want to say. Um, it's, it's you know, the, as, I was, as, as I was alluding to, the possibilities are kind of everywhere if they want to go in those directions. I guess we're kind of just throwing things in, in, in air right now and seeing if they stick, but you know, some of them are viable options that you'd have to kind of consider. But you know, you have your um your main candidates to be uh to be moved if teams approach the Mets regarding other players. Again, I think they have to listen, but they uh, you know, stand strong. <laughs> don't get uh don't get bamboozled. Agreed. <laughs> so um hey, and I, I want to bring it up very quickly. Uh Matt Harvey. He finished out the season in Oakland's AAA system, uh, Oakland system with AAA Las Vegas, our old friends out in Vegas. Uh, you know, finished somewhat impressively. I guess I heard good reports as they were coming out. It looked like he had a little more life on his fastball. Um, over seven appearances, uh, five appearances, three starts, 17 innings. He had a 3.18 ERA, 1.06 whip, and a 4.20 uh, strikeouts to walks ratio. Um, if he were to embrace that relief role that he was so hesitant to kind of <laughs> accept at so many times during his career, do you feel that a minor league deal, n- not necessarily with the Mets, but do you think that's out of the question for a guy like Matt Harvey or are his injuries just um, too much of a red flag at this point? I know this is off topic, but, but it was on my sheet of paper from earlier today and I figured, yeah, fuck it. I'll ask. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I uh you know it's 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 interesting. You know, what what an interesting guy, what an interesting story and the way his career has unfolded. Um on a minor league deal, I'm sure any team would be willing to give him a look in spring training. Um you know, he'll be 31 next season and I don't think he's going to give you more than eating innings out of the bullpen or as a fifth starter on a bad team. So, you know, do I want the Mets to explore that avenue probably not just because of the media storm that will come with that and just the the constant uh you know stories that will arise out of that situation um but you know i i I kind of feel bad for him just how 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 far his career fell um but you know if he if he wants to Make it make it back to the majors. I think he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to start with a, a minor league deal somewhere. Yeah, you and, and you know I'm. I guess as again as a fan, I'm rooting for him to latch on somewhere, and I hope that he does embrace that relief role because I think he could be a weapon there. 
Because in short spurts, I think he could still touch those high velocities. I think his changeup still has life on it. Um, yeah, it's it would be interesting, at least in, in my opinion. But you see him go somewhere like the Yankees, which it almost seems inevitable if he's going to get a shot somewhere that he he would love to go there. And, of course, who wouldn't? They're still playing. Um, but like a team like the Astros or the Yankees or a contender who could just use a live arm with potential still left in it. Um who have the confidence that they can get the most out of him. Let's, let's go ahead and say parentheses, read the Astros. Um, If there were a spot there, you know, I guess unbiased, I think sure. I would have to consider it, but you know, that's a a long shot and he still has work to do. And I know injuries still took a toll on him last year. Uh, It with um, Cincinnati, Uh, Cincinnati. Am I right? No, angels. uh, Angels. Angels, I'm sorry. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, just I'm, I'm hoping he kind of picks up somewhere. But, you know, in my eyes, a uh, an organization with depth could take a chance on him. But um, real quick, before we jump into the Arizona Fall League, Jacob, I wanted to talk real quick about your postseason allegiances. Uh, things have been whittled down. The Nationals have surprisingly taken a, a commanding lead in the NLCS. You know, I still can't believe the Dodgers are out. But um, it, <laughs> Do you have issue? Do you find it hard to root for a team that, you know, outside looking in without allegiance is taking a bias into it? The Nationals are a fun team to watch. Your pitching has been lights out. Uh, you have superstars in the lineup, and that's always fun to see. Just the fact that they're an NLE's team, you know, once the season ends, are those biases still there for you? Absolutely. One hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, it, it pains me to. Uh, I, I think it has to because you know they, they're the team that uh, was the best in the division and was better than the team, the other teams in the division, um, that that made it out of the division to get into the playoffs. So, um, you know, and considering the, I, I, you know, I keep expecting the Nationals bullpen to just fall apart at some point. You know, because I don't. I don't. I don't think they're gonna get the the Anibal Sanchez lights out performance over and over again, and you know they can't pitch Scherzer every game. So um, you know, obviously Strasburg is there, but um, you know their bullpen has been pretty good when it matters, uh, and and it, it it does it does pain me a little bit every every time uh, you know the Nationals have a reason to celebrate, and I, I've seen a lot of discussion on. on online on Twitter about whether you'd rather see the the Yankees or the Nationals win the World Series. And I feel anyone who says they'd rather see the Nationals win the World Series just because the Yankees also play in New York, I think that's kind of a, a ludicrous statement to me. I don't know what your your stance on that is. It's kind of strange. And it it had me at odds this morning just sitting there thinking about it by myself. But like it's almost like once the season, once the Mets season is over, I can flip off those allegiances real, real fast. And those biases real quick. Um, I had so much fun watching the Braves and the Cardinals. And those are two teams that during the regular season, I disliked to a a high, high degree. And I had so much fun watching that series. And it made me, it let me appreciate those players more. And I just, I, I found it odd how quickly I could just turn off my, my dislike for these teams that are, you know, throughout the regular season rivals and the the Cardinals. I mean, you know, 2006, as much as I say, Oh, I got over it. I'll never get over it. Mm -hmm. And seeing Yadi Molina still get clutch hits in the playoffs is, 
you know, it kind of makes me twitch. Like, you know, that little twitch in your eye kind of goes with it too. Like, it, it, I get that. And, um, you know, I don't want to hate on these teams because of the history with the Mets, because good baseball is good baseball, no matter when, who's playing, what's happening. And it's, I find it funny how once the postseason begins, I can just turn that off. Like, I am enjoying watching the Yankees. And I'll, if the Mets aren't on during the regular season, I'll watch the Yanks. I'm in the New York market and they're on TV. I'll, you know, I'll check it out. Um, just what a fun team. I like Boone. I like the offense. I, I like Tanaka. Um, I love, I love that he's, uh, opened up his, his game and he, uh, adapted to the new baseball. He changed his splitter grip. Um, just, you know, I'm able to appreciate good baseball and that's what the Yankees are doing. And if it so happens they're in the Bronx or they're, they're sharing a, a city with the Mets, like, that doesn't even occur to me anymore. The Yankees aren't a rival of the Mets. It <laughs> never have been. When they played them in the World Series, sure, I hate the Yankees. But any other time, like the Subway Series, the regular season one, it's become so dull. Like, uh, I'm not even that big of a fan of interleague anymore. Unless you're going to do it and and have seating programs and kind of do away with the whole thing and give everyone the same set of rules. It just doesn't make any sense to me anymore. But uh, I don't want to go off on a tangent on that. But no, yeah, I, I will. I will agree that it it is extremely fun to watch baseball at at its highest of stakes. Um, but you know, God forbid the Nationals win the World Series, and we have to hear about it. You know, all twenty times the Mets play them next season. Yeah, it's it's just going to eat at me. And you know, I, I will. You know, this just occurred to me. Maybe the Nationals winning the World Series prompts the Mets to go all in on a Garrett Cole or an Anthony Rendon. Um, you know, now that they realize how close, you know, uh, how close to home the, these really good teams are, uh, who knows? I, I don't want to predict how this team is going to operate, but uh, yeah, we'll just uh, just kind of see what happens and and how the, you know you can't predict the postseason, so. Jacob, my bright side thinking is rubbing off on you as far as the low points. <laughs> I love it. I love to see it. All right. Before we wrap up, I want to hear about the Winter League because things have uh, – are they have they wrapped up completely or are they still a couple of weeks left? Absolutely not. We're <laughs> right in the thick of it. Really? Uh, yeah. So actually this is a perfect time because last night or Saturday night um, was the Arizona Fall League Fall Stars All-Star Game. That's a clever name. Yeah. So uh, the Mets had a pair of representatives, one on, on the offensive side, one on, on the pitching side. So Andres Jimenez played in the game, uh, went 0 for 3, did strike out. And then uh, Jordan Humphreys was the uh, the pitching representative for the Mets. Um, when, when a scoreless inning did strike out a batter. Um, so it's good to see, uh, you know, the guys getting recognized for their, for their play. Um, he's still about, uh, I want to say a week and a half left, uh, in the Arizona fall league season. They just have one championship game, no playoffs. Um, but you know, Jimenez has been fantastic through 12 games hitting 333 OPS, uh, you know, over 900, 14 runs driven in. And then Humphreys, you know, he was, he was recognized for his work, nine and two thirds innings, uh, just one earned run allowed, you know, in his, in his, this is his first action since, uh, he had Tommy John surgery back in 2017. Um, well, he, he did actually, well, say he did pitch, uh, a couple innings in the Gulf coast league this season, but then got shut down. Um, so he's kind of being 
thrown out there for the first time in almost two years, over two or over two years. Um, and you know, his, his velocity through from all reports has been back up to where it was, you know, about 93, 94 consistently. Um, so, you know, he's an interesting guy kind of along with, uh, he's kind of in that Thomas, Thomas, the pucky category of interesting to, to think about and, and watch going forward. Um, so, you know, Arizona fall league will be wrapping up kind of soon. And then the, the, uh, the Latin baseball leagues, um, the Dominican league, the, uh, the other leagues that are escaping my mind right now. Um, uh, Venezuelan starts up soon, right? Venezuelan, but I believe there's something with Venezuela that they're oh, not, right, letting, right, right. They're yes. not letting, uh, you know, uh, major or minor league players play over there this year. Um, I do remember seeing something about that. Um, real quick. I want to point out David Peterson, um, 10.1 scoreless innings. Uh, I guess I'm sorry. No earned runs over 10.1 and Riley Gillum. 1.42 ERA. So very happy with what's going on here. Yeah. Guys are, are performing and you know, it's, they're playing against the, the top young talents from other organizations. So it's not like they're just carving through weak lineups. Um, Peterson, I, you know, I, I, I was always higher on Peterson than Anthony K. And now that, and now that K is not in the organization, it's a little, uh, easier for me to, I guess, put that out there, um, and just to to focus on Peterson and not um, not really think about Anthony K as as being there anymore. You know, all the all the power to Anthony K. I hope he does great things for the Blue Jays. Um, but you know, I, I feel like Peterson is more likely to fill you know a, a back end of the rotation role, um, and it, we could be seeing him by the middle of next season, if they need a spot, um, you know, he kind of, uh, took him a long time to get comfortable in double a, but had, you know, figured out, figured it out at some point. Um, so he's just someone that I am, uh, looking forward to see, seeing, uh, you know, how his trajectory develops over, over the next, uh, couple seasons. Yeah. You have to think that the, I guess the, the confidence built in the Arizona fall league, like you said, among elite company, um, it's going to, you know, tighten up that trajectory. It's going to, you know, set these guys off on a, on a, on a higher path, you would hope, but, um, yeah, certainly encouraging to see, um, Jimenez after a tough season, him picking himself up is very, very nice to see. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, um, these guys can make an impact soon. Do you feel that the Mets, that there's any chance that the Mets are going to fill the fifth man in the rotation with someone that's already in the organization? I, Huh. Good question. And I, you know, I, I think I've. Like they kind of can't, right? Yeah. I mean, all I've really thought about is how awful it would be if, you know, they go into the season and Walker Lockett is. Oh, I knew you were going to say Lockett. Oh, I knew you were going to say it. I mean, (laughs) that's just what it is. I mean, he's, he's not, um, he's not a guy that you feel comfortable with, uh, going out there every fifth day. Um, Corey Oswald. Not if you want to win. Right. And Corey Oswald, I probably feel a little better about, but he really didn't get that much run in the major leagues this past season. Um, so, you know, I, and I think there's, there's enough on the free agent market of those type of guys, you know, that, that can fill the rotation, just be serviceable. Um, so I, it, they're definitely going to have to go outside of the organization because unless they feel Peterson is ready from the jump, but that's, that's unlikely. Yeah, that's a long shot. And 
serviceable. To be honest, it's not good enough. This team is too close to go with serviceable right now. Um, you know, let's hope and pray Zach Wheeler re- accepts his qualifying offer and bets on himself to uh, to have a fantastic year. And yeah, uh, I, I, I would be so happy if he comes back to the Mets and prices the Mets out going into 2021. How about he's just I'd be thrilled for him and we'd still get another year out of Zach Wheeler because I really think he's about to hit um, the next gear and putting him somewhere like Houston. That next gear could be just, you know, a rarefied air. I, I really believe that he has the stuff. to He has the tools to to take that next step into the the undoubtedly elite. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. And I, I think he does accept the qualifying, off, qualifying offer because I I don't think he's going to get the you know the 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 average annual value that of anything that exceeds that uh, i think it's around 18 mil something like that uh, 17.8 uh, 17, 17 first time first time it's dropped jacob in uh in the history of the qualifying offer which began in 2012 it's the first time it's decreased yeah it's it interesting and I, and i think it was uh, jeff passing who pointed out smartly that that happened only because a lot of the big contracts that were signed uh, this past offseason um, were either backloaded, deferred, or um, uh, what, like the, the, something about the, the way the signing bonuses were structured. Um, like yeah, DeGrom- it wouldn't count against the it wouldn't count against the payroll right away. Right. Or, yeah, so like the way Degrom's contract was structured, like he didn't make as much this season as he will next season. Um, yeah. So that that affected what the qualifying offer ends up at. But uh, here, I'm interested in, in in what you think about this. Felix Hernandez is a fifth starter next year. Where are you on that? Um, boy, you know the money's going to be okay. Uh, you know what? Let me. I'm going to pull up his. Uh, how did, I'm, I'm not really not sure of his numbers this past year. Um, as a fifth guy, you you really have to consider it because the pressure's going to be off of him. He's still only 33 years old. He's got a bunch of miles on him. But what do we got here? I'm freezing up. I'm freezing up. Oh, he had a tough year stat-wise. Um, and he hasn't been very good. Oh, in a number of years. I don't know, man. I guess low low risk. Um, I would give him a shot. Change the scenery. Maybe get a little life out of him. Sure. I wouldn't go out and bid for him. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Yeah, low risk. Um, I'd be on board with taking a look. Sure. I can't yeah. say that would be an ideal pick, but um, if Pickens are thin, man, and he's out there, you know, at 33, he's got to be because with the control that he has, you have to compare him to, let's say, like a Bartolo Cologne, but with more pitches and probably a little more life in his fastball. And that that's that's the type of serviceable that could play well. Uh, inexperienced inexperienced serviceable is um is scary. Serviceable former Cy Young winner who might still have something left in the tank. Who, you know, I guess injuries slowed him up, but he wasn't um. It wasn't he, there was no Tommy John or anything, correct? Right. Yep. Huh, Jacob, you got me thinking, man. Yeah, um, I think. If if it's him and you know someone with a little more recent success, then and you know you you take him into spring training and see what happens and you know cut him if if the salary is not crazy before the before the start of the season then 
you know, just just an avenue to explore. Yeah, oh, definitely. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see teams like the Yankees or maybe even a National League team who really hasn't seen much of them. I help, you know, boy, I'm kind of <laughs> between your suggestion and me talking myself into it. I'm almost sold on it. But um, yeah, worth a look. Let's see if that uh, if that you know opportunity presents itself. That should be exciting. I'll look um, for your I'll look for your article on it on Metsmerized uh, next week. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'll have to add him to the list. I have a, I have a few free agent profiles coming out, huh? Oh, we're going to dedicate a whole episode to that. I think we're gonna we're gonna break them off into positions. We're gonna really we're gonna take a good look at the free agent crop this year. Um, I'm sure as guys opt out, I'm sure as players hit the the rumor mill and the trade block, as you want to call it, uh, we will see how things shake out. But I, I think this has the the potential to be a very exciting offseason. And uh, I'm excited just because the Mets proved that last year that they're um, they're better than a lot of people thought. And this is uh, it's an exciting time. It's almost uh, I know someone compared it to, I guess, after the Mets got Hernandez, that 85 season, I guess a couple of years after they got him, but the 85 season when they really took a lot of strides and they kind of showed people, hey, we're we're for real. And then they came in 86 and Davey Johnson said, we're going to dominate. And they did. Um, you know, let's 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 get our Davey Johnson secured and um, let's go out there and dominate. Hey, I, I, I don't remember that off season. So if you tell me that's what happened, then I, I, uh, I agree with you there. <laughs> oh, Jacob, I have to, I, I was only three in 86. I don't remember oh, okay. it all that well, Perfect, perfect. but, uh, I have to recommend Jeff Perlman. He wrote the bad guys one. That is a complete, and I'm talking complete story of that team, the build up to it. And through the whole season, I highly recommend it. Yeah. All right, man. I think that's going to be it for uh, for this week's episode of Simply Amazing. Again, thanks to Metsmerized Online for letting us uh, put this out. Um, we're going to have big, thing, big things coming on the horizon. We're going to keep on announcing special guests and such. Um, you guys might not see us this Thursday, but we'll, uh, this Friday, but we will be back next Monday. Um, Jacob, you have anything coming out this week? Any any big news on your front? This has been quiet. School year is kind of ramping up, getting to that point, but uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll we'll get something up kind of soon. Yeah, oh, we're gonna we're gonna figure something out, pal. <laughs> All right, guys. As always, let's go Mets, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Let's go!